Hey, this is Ed Robertson, and this is the Mountain and Prairie Podcast, where I introduce you to some of the innovative and creative individuals who are shaping the future of the American West. I meet these people through my work in ranch brokerage and land conservation, or through my hobbies and interests that revolve around spending time in the mountains. My guests include ranchers, writers, entrepreneurs, conservationists, athletes, artists, pretty much anyone who's doing important work and has an interesting story to tell. My guest today is Mike Riley. Mike is the Veterans Program Coordinator at Heroes and Horses, a Montana-based nonprofit that uses expedition-style horse pack trips to help veterans overcome the challenges of life after the military. Prior to his work with Heroes and Horses, Mike was a Navy SEAL and served as a member of SEAL Team 1 in Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation New Dawn. As he was transitioning out of the military, he heard about Heroes and Horses and signed on as a student. The program offered the perfect blend of service, teaching, helping others, and adventure that spoke to Mike's strengths and interests. So after completing the program, he decided to stay on full-time as a member of the team. Heroes and Horses is not a vacation. It's a rigorous and hardcore three-phase process that takes veterans with no prior horseback experience and, in the course of a summer, turns them into expert horsemen and wilderness travelers. Through the hard work and focus required to make it through the program, Combat veterans are able to forge lasting bonds and discover a renewed sense of purpose, which in turn gives them the skills and confidence to thrive in the, quote, real world as they begin their post-military lives. Amazingly, this program is offered at no cost to the veterans. Mike was nice enough to take a break from a morning of training wild Mustangs to chat with me about the program and his personal story. We discussed how he initially connected with Heroes and Horses and how it helped him through some of the challenges of post-deployment life. Mike explained their upcoming 500 Miles project, in which they're training wild horses from the BLM's Wild Mustang program and planning to take them on a 500-mile ride later this summer. He also talks about his military career and how a collegiate baseball injury was the catalyst that caused him to pursue his dream of becoming a Navy SEAL. And one quick note on the audio on this episode. I knew it was going to happen, and it finally did. I messed up the audio on my microphone. As you'll hear, it's scratchy and kind of loud, and it was basically, I just pressed the wrong button. Um, Lesson learned, but the good thing is you're not here to listen to me talk, you're here to listen to Mike talk, so do your best to just kind of ignore the scratchiness and listen to Mike's wise words. Anyway, as you'll hear, Mike is a super humble guy with a passion for serving and helping others, so I know you'll enjoy this episode. I also encourage you to go check out their website, visit their GoFundMe page, and consider supporting their important work. Hope you enjoy the episode. When I chat with folks, as I say, when you meet somebody for the first time, never met them before, and they ask you that question, what do you do? How do you answer that? Uh, It's pretty simple, and, you know, I was just lucky enough that you know, I was able to find something like this, but to break it down in its simplest form, it's, it's just helping people, helping people that that need help and that want to help and are ready to accept help. Um, and, you know, we just, we use uh, a particular medium that is a little unusual in that sense. Um, but when you put it all together, I think it's a pretty powerful collection. So... Can you just kind of give a, a brief overview of, of Heroes and Horses? And I want to dig into the details, obviously, um, as we talk. But but can you just kind of give the, the folks listening an idea of the program if they're not familiar with it? 
Absolutely. So Heroes and Horses was founded by Mike Fink. He's also a prior SEAL. Um, started the company in Afghanistan and is, you know, essentially along the same premise, you know, with him dealing with his personal issues and his desire to help people. Um, the program morphed into what it is today, and obviously, we're, you know, it's a, a changing process, uh, being that we're so small. Um, but it's a, a three-phase program right now for combat veterans, and we hope to expand upon that. What we do applies to, to people in general. It's a, a, a people story, not specifically a combat veteran-only type of thing. Um, but what we use uh, is, feet, or excuse me, is horses in the mountains and, and that environment and the, the ruggedness and the tranquility and quietness and the camaraderie. And you put all those things together. Uh, the time spent away from their families, um, you know, it lends itself to, to breaking those old habits. And, and guys spend 37 days with us, and that's a, a first and second phase. And throughout the first and second phase, guys are being taught how to, you know, saddle and bridle and, and pack all the gear that they would need to survive in the mountains. So there's been some instructional period some learning, and then we go out into the mountains in Montana and execute that. And, you know, the, the students are, are really asked to to do it themselves. We're there for, for guidance, um, kind of to shape how the class is, you know, going to go um, and to provide that safety net. And then once they're done with us, uh, we, we send them home, kind of let them decompress a little bit, um, let that wow factor, you know, go away. Let them get back into almost where they're like going into the issues that they, they were trying to get away from. And then we bring them right back out and we send them to outfitters all across the Northwest territories. And, and these outfitters are volunteering to take on these guys. Um, they look at our curriculum and what we're doing in our mission statement and they just want to help. And that's, that's their way of doing that. So these guys take on a tremendous risk. Um, obviously, our students don't have a tremendous background or experience a lot of times with this type of stuff. But uh, what we're able to cover and what we're able to do in that short amount of time um, gets these guys pretty well prepared to go into an outfitter camp and, and do all those duties. Um, and it's just, you know, that self-reliance, that re- resiliency that you're forced to have in the mountains. Um, that survival aspect and mentality. Either you're going to quit or you're going to pick yourself up and go. And that's really kind of a, you know, a cornerstone of what we're all about. You know, not everyone um, finishes this program. It, it's rather tough. It's rather lengthy. But those guys that, that do, um, you know, they just get back what they've, what, they, what they've had and, you know, find themselves again. And that's that's really what we're all about. We're not miracle workers here. There's there's no psychiatrists. There's no PhDs. It's just real men and women and cowboys and combat veterans all sharing the same stories, um, going through rough times. And the animals are a huge part of that. You know that we use that horse as that door opener to get guys to to start opening up. And the experiences that guys go through on the horse in these scenarios that we put them in are incredible. I mean, they're dangerous. You get guys that have never even seen a horse. And then five days later, 
they're on a horse that they saddled and bridled and are toting a, a mule that they packed and then they're on you know the edge of thousand foot cliffs and they've got to put their their trust and faith in that animal and those bonds are a large part of that you just see them develop and grow and you know they start to open up a bit and you know those experiences happen out on the trail you know i don't know how anybody could ever ensure us for what we do but somehow we were able to pull it off but uh yeah the horse is such a big aspect of that and then you know we we sit around the fire at night and you know guys just tend to to relax a little bit more and, and loosen up and you know talking about the day's events which is usually quite a bit to talk about and gets guys pretty amped up and and kind of starts that conversation and, and that healing process so why do you think that what you guys are doing is so effective and connect so well with veterans versus, you know, you're talking about the, the PhDs and psychiatrists and, you know, people are putting so much effort into trying to help veterans through that kind of stuff, but it seems like it's, it doesn't work as well as it should. Whereas what you're doing does, what, what void does, does your program fill that these, you know, psychiatrists and, and psychologists can't? Well, I think people just want to be treated like people and not patients, you know, and there's those, those groups of people that they just want to be told there's something wrong with them. And this program isn't for you. Um, you know, we get a lot of substance abuse guys, a lot of PTSD guys. And at the end of the day, it's choices. Um, you know, trauma is trauma. Everybody goes through it. And if you are willing to pick your up and go, you know, you can get through it and you can learn from it and you can be a stronger person from it. Uh, and those that aren't, and the, you know, that they're those that are out there that are the professional veterans or the professional PTSD groups. And they go to all these programs that are out there, you know, created by people trying to just help people, but you know, they never really move beyond that. It kind of know? enables enables that behavior for a long exactly. time. Yeah, take that away, you know, that's their kind of safety net. You know, they go to. You know, bicycle riding PTSD group and swimming PTSD group, and you know they 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 basically label themselves, and they're never able to to move beyond that. And the simple fact is, it's just part of life, and we all have that capacity to make that choice. That's something no one can ever take away from you. And it might not be a good one, and your options might not be very good, but you still have one. Well, I read in your bio that you were um, a former student of Heroes and Horses, and then you've obviously moved over to to working there and being a leader there full time. What led you to Heroes and Horses? Well, that was a a rather quick process, but for me, it was, you know, a difficult decision and and asking for help. And and it was was really uh, a buddy of mine that led me to that. and I'm, I'm, you know, so grateful for him. And, you know, he, he was actually working with me um, when I was instructing as a SEAL. And, and he was a, a combat medic as well. And, you know, kind of with their guys' role on top of everything else is to screen all of those head doctors and physicians and that sort of thing to make it easier for, for all of us. Um so they basically, hey, go to this guy. He's good. He'll treat you right. He'll, he's a straight shooter, that sort of thing. 
and uh, that same guy was going through a pretty difficult time, and he was seeing a, a guy about it and suggested that I go see him, you know, just sit down and have a, a, a talk with him. And I thought about it for a while, and, I, you know, I was in a bad spot. Um, and Was this it. after you had gotten out of the service? Were you, were you retired from the service at this point or still in? No, I, I was actually still in. Um, I had just come off uh, two shoulder surgeries, and I was rehabbing and, and kind of just wasting away, waiting to, to get out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I went in and talked to the guy, and the first thing he did basically was want to write me a prescription, and I almost walked out. I told him, you know, I, I'm not here for that. I was recommended to you by a guy I trust, and, you know, I, I want to kind of fill you out, have a conversation, see where it goes, but I'm not, I'm not coming to you looking for some meds, and I think if more people felt that way and started off that way, and you know, it would help change the narrative. I mean, the, the pharmaceuticals around this country are just mind-blowing. Why did you, but, what uh, gave you the insight to, to turn that down? I mean, I I know that, it, you know, nowadays it's pretty, you know, last few years I think it's pretty evident to everybody that these pharmaceuticals are out of control, but why did you, why did you know that you didn't want to do that? Well, a lot of it is a risk I wasn't willing to take. Um, personal family history is, is not all that great with with substance abuse mm-hmm. and, uh, and things like that. I've had a, a few close family members go that route, and it wasn't good. It wasn't over-the-counter or pharmaceutical stuff, more street drugs type of thing. And I've seen what that can do, and I have I know enough to know that I have an addictive personality and, you know, obviously, or not obviously, and we'll keep this, and you better not tell the Navy, but I, uh, I dabbled a little bit as a, as a young man uh-huh. and uh, was smart enough to pull my head out of my ass and in time um, didn't get caught up in that. But, you know, I knew enough where I, I didn't want to be swallowing pills every day. And then, you know, who knows what, what that leads to 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. So Sure. So... So you uh, went went to that doctor. He was trying to give you pills. You said no, and then what happened? Uh, he was completely okay with that. Um, I think he was. Did it surprise him to hear that? I bet it surprised him. Uh, yes and no. Um, you know, it's definitely not something that they never hear. It's probably a little more rare. Sure. Um, but just talked for about an hour, and he was like, you know, just by this conversation. I've recently heard of this program, and with your background, I think you would love it. I think you could gain a lot out of it. And it was started by a team guy, and that immediately caught my interest. Um, say what you will, but you know, I immediately put a lot of stock and value um, just by that that notion alone. Um, you know, that it was another team guy. So I asked for his name and. I took it from there, and I, I called Micah that day, and you know, within several minutes of us conversing, uh, we, we just hit it off, and he told me to pack my stuff and, and get out there. And uh, So I went through the program, um, and you know, I, I was actually going through some of your, your pre-questions, and, and one of them really caught my interest, and it's, it's kind of a, a personal story, but... Um, when I was going through the program, my brother actually died when I was out here. Oh, wow. And if 
I mean, I, I couldn't have asked to be in a better spot. If I was in San Diego or somewhere within reach of people, I would have done something incredibly stupid to somebody that probably didn't deserve it. Yep. And that's something I'm eternally grateful for. And uh, That's yeah, amazing. So, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry about your brother, but I'm, I'm glad that you were in the right place when that happened. That's That's unbelievable. Yeah, you know, I I got the call. The, the guys had known about it for most of the day and were trying to figure out how to tell me. And, and uh, I was up in the front just kind of leading the group. You know, nothing really new for me. And I had a good handle on where we were going, and uh, which, to, you know, that for a student at the time was unusual up to that point. And so it kind of seemed like something was off. And they pulled me aside and told me, and, you know, I just went out and into a field and kind of let loose and and came back and took care of things and and michael was unsure if i would come back for second phase and i told him are you kidding me so i went home and, and took care of that and you know couldn't get back here fast enough and and uh i didn't really have a third phase my third phase pretty much started with me working for heroes and horses and you know it's all been forward since then so and what year was that uh i've been with heroes and horses just over a year so a year and three months now that's great man that's a great story so um where did you grow up oh i'm a texas boy all right yeah i saw your phone number was a was a texas area what part I grew up in a little town uh, about an hour northeast of Beaumont, for anybody that knows where that is. Oh, yeah, on the, uh, down near the coast? Yep. Yeah, I, I used to, I worked at a duck hunting lodge in Hackberry, Louisiana, right there on the border, near, kind of near Lake Charles. And uh, we drive, we drive over, we drive through Beaumont on the way to Houston, I think. Those, oh, yeah, yeah. That's some, uh, those, man, no wonder you're a Navy, those are some tough guys down there. <laughs> So, so what attracted you to the, uh, to the military? Um, to be honest, uh, the way that story goes is, you know, me and my brother were two years apart and growing up, we were pretty active outdoorsy kids and, and, you know, did a lot of hunting and every sport you could think of. And, and the military was about the furthest thing on our mind, but we were always intrigued by those, those special operations guys getting to do the, the high speed sneaky peaky stuff. And yeah. That was that was really where it, where it set, you know, for the longest time. And you know, as I was going through life, finished high school and, and went to college, and was playing baseball in college for a couple of years, and uh, I had an, uh, an ankle injury that kind of sidelined me for the first time, something I never had to deal with. And just oddly enough, we had these Navy SEAL posters in our in our gym. So while the guys were out playing. During the regular season, I was stuck in the gym rehabbing, staring at these posters, and it just dawned on me, you know, hey, if you're if you're ever going to do that, like now's the time. There's no, no there's no better time than now. And so that's what I did. I I wrapped up with the ankle, it was kind of borderline, and, and dropped out of school. And, and two weeks later, I was in the navy. So were you in the navy for a period of time before you? tried out for the seals or did you just go i'm not even fully sure how how that works how that process works but how do you go from enlisting to to getting a shot at being on the seal teams well 
for, for one, for me, that was the absolute only thing I was interested in. I didn't want any part of anything else. And God forbid I'd be stuck on a boat. And I'm sorry and thank all you guys that are do that. But it just wasn't for me. So I went in with that mindset. And at the time, they had just created this program where you could get into a specific group in boot camp that would go directly from boot camp uh, into BUDS, which is the initial six six months uh, training for the for the SEAL pipeline. And so I got into one of those, and, you know, I was kind of actually shocked about the Navy boot camp. Uh, I wasn't really all that impressed, and seeing grown, grown man cry about standing in line and, and folding underwear was kind of shocking. Yeah. <laughs> Navy, or at least uh, the group of folks I was with made things rather interesting, but uh, I was lucky enough not to get hold or held up with paperwork and whatnot, and finished boot camp and, and went straight to San Diego, and uh, I was actually supposed to be in class 267, and I guess they the, weren't where they needed to be with their numbers and asked for volunteers to class up the class early. And so me and a few guys that I was in boot camp with actually raised our hands and and went straight into uh, the NDOC and, and first phase, you know, months ahead of what we were supposed to. So I lucked out there as well. Um, and the rest is history. Yeah, that's uh, that's amazing, man. I like everybody. I read a ton of books about SEALs and, you know, watch documentaries about the BUDS training. And it's just it's hard for me to get my head around it. And I mean, I do some, some like, you know, ultra marathons and shit like that. that most people would think is, is intense, but it's like one tenth of 1% of what you guys do. So, um, so, so you were in the seals, how many years? Oh, I was in around just shy of nine years, I believe. Nine years. And towards the end of that, you started, you were doing instruction for the seals. Is that right? That's correct. So why do you, what do you think it is about your personality? You seem to be a natural teacher. You know, you, you, you kind of, after your active duty and, and, you know, being over in Iraq and doing all that, you, you kind of went into the teaching side of things. And now a lot of your job is teaching. Would you have ever thought when you were younger that, that you would, that teaching would, would suit with your personality? Cause it obviously does. You know, I did. I was fortunate enough to have a, a lot of, of great, um, mentors as a young man, um, and with athletics or any competition based events, um, you know, I can't express the value in that with, you know, competition and, and sportsmanship and all those things and, and what they build and, and as far as character goes. Um, and with that, I was also placed in a lot of unique situations, um, within all those athletic groups, um, where either I was, teaching those around me just you know just i i don't know just came naturally and and you know really kind of developed that and i saw i had a, a taste for it and i saw the value in teaching i think what i gain most from it personally is i learn when i teach yep. far better than just um and you know so i get to improve myself while i'm improving somebody else i mean it's kind of a win-win so you mentioned uh, that you had a lot of good heroes and, and role models. Who, who were a few of those? Oh, I don't know if they'd be too happy about me mentioning them. Uh, 
a lot of those guys have moved on. I, the sad thing is I couldn't tell you where they are today, but, uh, you know, my dad was a large part of that. Um, some baseball coaches, you know, Ronnie Pickle and, and Sean Mixon, and, and there's a, a long list of, of athletic coaches, and hats go off to those guys. I, I think they are such a huge part of our culture and, and young people and uh they don't really get the credit they deserve and i think you know over the last few years there's been a lot of uh, visibility on that as far as you know the football and helmets and all that stuff and i think we're moving in the right direction with developing those programs that actually teach coaches how to coach i recently read a book by um uh, the author sebastian younger i don't know if you ever heard of him but he he wrote that book have you have you read tribe uh, no, I have not. Oh man, you would love it. I'll I'll send it to you because I mean it is it is made for you. But he he's talking about military and and how this problem we're we're having with PTSD and how these guys come home and a lot of them um, who have not who did not even see any active combat have PTSD. And so he says it's not it's not a, a matter of seeing some some terrible stuff. I mean that's obviously part of it, but but people can recover from that. But he says that it's the biggest problem is that they're lacking in purpose and they're lacking in community, both of which they they had in spades when they're in the military because you're living with these guys, you know, you're always surrounded by people and you're working in one of the most for one of the most important purposes there is. And so do you agree with that? Do you think that that, that, that kind of lack of purpose and, and lack of community is a is, is as much of a problem as, as seeing the, the terrible aspects of war? I wouldn't say it's as much of a problem, but I, I definitely agree that that is such a huge component of it and that's something that we really harp on you know, with that purpose. You know, we bring guys out and we do what we do with the horses and the mules and, and kind of the cowboy lifestyle, but we're not trying to make these guys and the Cowboys, but it's just that repurposing, giving them a job and, and within that framework of, of team building and all that stuff, you know, they, they come from that military background where they have all that and everything is so structured, you know, they know exactly what is expected and they're held accountable for that. They have, you know, their, their leadership that they can go to hopefully and, and once they get out, like their whole life has just changed. All that is removed. They no longer have access to, to all that stuff. Um, and then there's so many out there that are handing out freebies and just letting guys and gals get away with doing absolutely nothing and not changing their own circumstances, but just taking free stuff, taking free stuff, and taking free stuff. And, you know, they're like, wow this is actually really good. I'll just keep saying this and not really do anything to help myself. And sweet. Yeah. People know about the label. I've, I've got that label. Well, why would I want to change that? And so, you know, I, I definitely agree that that purpose is important for anything. It could be a purpose of the day. It could be, you know, lifetime goals. It can be anything, but you know, having that purpose in whatever shape or form that takes, uh, it's definitely important. So when when these veterans come through and they've completed all three phases and then they leave um, this you know beautiful wilderness on these awesome adventures and then they, they go back to the real world, quote, real world, 
Um, how do you, what do you do to ensure that these lessons stick? Or, I mean, they, they obviously do because you're doing something, you know, you, you've had such great success, but you know, how, how does that work? I mean, how do they, they, cause I would imagine there's some sort of letdown when you leave such a cool adventure as that and working so hard and then having to go back and, you know, live in an apartment or in, in a city. So how do you, is there anything you do? Do you follow up with these guys or how do you, how do you ensure that these lessons, they, these very important lessons they learned stay with them? Well, at the end of the day, you know, that's exactly it. They go home and, and they're their own person. They have to make those conscious choices. And, and what we do um, with heroes and horses and, and, and our alumni, you know, that's a, a key component of our success. And it's really important that we have our, our students stay engaged and um, it's a big part of, of that of that portion of it is them kind of paying it forward and staying involved in future classes and volunteering their time and and we've had large numbers of, of those guys that are still active and on a basically a daily basis um, one of those guys is coming on 500 mile with us two of those guys actually um, Another one we just found out might be helping with uh, a logistical piece. Um, you know, some of them are local, um, so they come by when they can. But we're all we're basically trying to create a community that they can go to that have all the same shared experiences. You know, kind of that community piece is is very much a big part of it. And we definitely follow up with guys. We talk to them all the time, and, and that's really my role. And Micah gets those phone calls absolutely all the time and you know we're both completely open and willing to to talk to folks in general um but you know our students they need that and they've they've gone through it they've earned it and you know for us to be there for them uh, and be that that solid piece that you know even if it's just bullshitting or they have real problems and you know i'm not the best person to get advice from but i can tell you what i i would do Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll shoot you straight. And, you know, I think a big part of that with our students is, is they get that very direct approach that, Hey, you know, pick your, pick yourself up, you know, figure out a plan and work through it and we'll help you. And yeah, it, it's, yeah, that's the alumni side, a huge component of it. And the guys that, uh, make it through the program are all still pretty close. Um, I won't get in detail, but, you know, we, we have social media aspects of it specifically for our alumni. Um, so we communicate a lot through that, uh, and that really helps. And That's great. Um, when you think back on your, your year there, is there a specific story? And obviously, you know, you don't have to give anybody's name or anything, but a specific story that sticks out in your head as, as just a, a perfect success story, you know, just, just kind of makes you feel good and makes you uh, is an example of exactly how this program, all the good that this program is doing. Absolutely. Um, hell, there's several. Probably hard um, to pick one. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you a few. One guy, um, I got, we all got along with him pretty well and, you know, the horses just really did it for him. And like me, he just wanted to continue to help people. And by doing that, it helped himself. Um, and so he, what he did was he started his own nonprofit where he takes animals, um, 
I believe, horses and mules and breaks them and gives them to children with disabilities uh, or, you know, the healing aspect of that. Um, he actually spent some time after going through our program with Val Geisler, if you, you mentioned Unbranded. Yep. Um, and so he got to leave us and then was fortunate enough to go spend, I think, a month or so with Val. And, man, you couldn't pay for that experience. And what that guy has done and, and continues to do for us is just remarkable. He seems like, just you know, I've never met him, but just in, in the Unbranded movie, he comes across as one of the most genuinely good people that you could ever encounter. Is that, I mean, is that accurate? Absolutely. Um, I think he's more of what we need today. You know, he's a hard worker. He's funny. He's charismatic. He shoots you straight. You know, he, he might ruffle a lot of feathers, but you know what you're getting, you know, and there's not this facade and, and fake. There's nothing fake about that man. And he's had struggles in his life. If I remember correctly from that, from the, from the uh, documentary, I mean, I think he, he had some some tragedy, and so I, I imagine that that helps him connect with with some of these veterans better than better than most. Absolutely, and you know Val was a veteran himself, and you know tragically his his kid got uh, kicked in the head when when he was young, and uh, what a sad story that is. But you know Val definitely uh, knows he has a home with us, and and he's always well prepared. That's great. Um, and for people who haven't seen Unbranded that are listening to this, uh, need to see that immediately. It's one of the best best movies I've ever seen, and I'll have links to everything in the in the on the web page. Um, you mentioned the 500 mile ride. Can you talk a little bit about that and what the plans are for that? Because it seems like a, a really really cool adventure. Absolutely. So Micah had a wild hair and thought it would be a great idea to uh, to go pick up 15 wild mustangs and figure if we could teach them ourselves and which uh god bless them for it but the whole premise of it is to to basically show the similarities or the parallels between the unpurposed mustang and the american vet and that's essentially what we're trying to capture in in an effort to to raise awareness and, and raise money so that we can continue to do what we're doing and this 500 miles uh is all going to be filmed, obviously. And the intent is for us to basically figure out where these horses are. You know, the ones that make it. And like I said earlier, not everybody makes it through this program. You know, to be, it could kind of equate to people, and I might get in trouble for saying this, but to be perfectly honest, all people aren't worth saving. All horses aren't worth saving. Mm-hmm. Those ones with that grit and that strength and, and, resiliency and all of those things, those are what we need more of. And, you know, sometimes they just need a little boost and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. And once these horses go through this 500 miles, the idea is to implement them into our program and, and let the veterans experience that as well. In the, um, the trailer for the, for the film, which I'll have on the webpage, there's a line in there. Some guy says you're putting, we're putting together the toughest human beings on the planet with the toughest animal, with the toughest horses on the planet, and then they learn from each other. And I thought that was a really cool way to think about it because it, I mean, it's it's 100 percent true. 
and the fact that, that these two different animals can kind of come together, you know, the human animal and the horse animal come together and, and end up both being better off for it. I think that's a really powerful way to think about it that I never would have. So I, I so, so can you tell people just briefly about the BLM Wild Mustang Program and what that means? And, and for people who want to hear it in depth, they should listen to my, my conversation with Ben Masters. But just to give some context, can you tell people um, about that program? Uh, absolutely. And first off, what Ben has done for the Mustangs uh, is incredible. He's such a huge part of the Mustang Heritage Foundation and obviously unbranded and, and him and Val have both been an integral part of heroes and horses um and that then was a, a huge kind of uh, liaison between us and them and once we had made that decision you know that we wanted to do the whole mustang thing the blm just absolutely loved it and so what we did was we told them about our program a little more in depth and told them you know what the whole intent was and and what we were looking for in the horses and they pretty much screened the horses that they thought would be good for us based on that criteria. And we went up to, or over to Burns, Oregon, um, rather lengthy drive and just went through them one by one. And they were, you know, such a great group of people, a lot of veterans that were there and, and, you know, they all kind of, you know, saw what we were doing. And, you know, even if you're not a veteran, like I said, this applies to people in general, but you know, the message comes across pretty strong, and I think, uh, you know, crosses a, crosses a lot of boundaries and blurs a lot of lines from, from the status quo today. But, uh, so the BLM, um, you know, picked out who we thought or who they thought we would like, and, and we picked the best 15, and we had uh, quite the posse going down there. Uh, you know, several of our, of our trainers that we had come out um, who were all friends of friends and donated all their time. And, and, uh, Shannon Moreau, the head of the equine science department at, at the university came out and helped with confirmation and, and those sorts of things. So we had a really good handle and knew what we were looking for, um, you know, to fit the needs of our program. And, and that's where it kind of all started. And it's just blossomed into a great relationship with the BLM. And for those that, don't know um there are so many feral horses out there which is now just blurred into the the mustang term Uh, but there are so many horses out there that you know they don't have a home they don't have purpose they sit in these facilities uh, and pretty much waste away and you know what we're doing is, is giving them that opportunity nothing's free and giving them that purpose and letting them just blossom and, and grow into something beautiful. And before we started recording, we were talking about those horses and, and how most people don't don't understand what kind of animal they are, and that they are a a wild ass animal. I mean, that's and we I, I said this, and I don't know if it's one hundred percent accurate, but most of the horses people know about when you go on a little trail ride and you feed them carrots. That's like a golden retriever, and these horses that you guys are on are like wolves, <laughs> and they're it's not you put a saddle on them and ride around. I mean, it, can you talk a little bit about some of the work you guys have been doing to break these these horses and get them trained so that a, a human can even mount them? Well, you're absolutely correct on, on all of that. I think what makes the horse so good for us, you know, for what we do is 
it gives that reflection of the individual and they do not lie. You know, they are, they wear everything right out in front. If they're scared, you can see it, you know, and they, and they also reflect your emotions. And there's so many subtleties in body position and behavior. And, and once you can see on that, man, it's just completely different language. There's, there's no lying. There's no guessing. It is all out in the air. And, you know, I think guys really need that. And it's very powerful. Uh, as far as our, our training process, we, like I mentioned, our trainers before, uh, we had several guys come out and Grant Gallagher, Brandon Clark, Ramon Becerra, Wes Taylor, and, and Buck did some work at the university for us. Um, and having that opportunity to learn from those guys was absolutely incredible. Um, and they've all came out for, for short stints here and there and, and each kind of worked with different horses and you could see different training styles. And at the end of the day, I mean, all these guys are so good. They, they have the same end goal and end state. They just get there a different way. And we're, you know, I've been extremely fortunate in getting exposed to all those guys and really developed us as horsemen, allow us to do our job better. And so where will the ride go? I, I used to spend a lot of time up in Montana. And Can you give a general overview of the route? Well, there is no general route. Okay. Um, you know, between me and Micah, or Micah and I, uh, we, we get, we'd get pretty bored if we did the same thing over and over. Got it. Uh, it takes out for us. So we definitely like to just go and see new places and see things for the first time in it you know, kind of be on the same page as the students. Like we don't necessarily know what we're getting into. Um, and there is some, some scary aspects of that, you know, but it also allows us to grow, uh, just the same. So, you know, I think if you, you ever stop learning or pushing yourself, you're just moving backwards. Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. But keeping, keeping that, um, you know, keeping it fresh for everybody and keeping a little bit of uncertainty, even for, for the instructors. I think that's a, that's a wise way to do it. Um, so I work, uh, you know, in the, in the ranch brokerage business in the land conservation business. And I, I, I talk to a lot of different people who are somehow connected to the land and, and are interested in conservation in one way or the other. And it sounds like from your childhood growing up down there in Texas and hunting and fishing, and now obviously what you do you're very connected to the land and connected to the outdoors. And so I was wondering, you know, when you, when you talk about the, the word conservation, everybody has a different meaning, a different definition. You know, some people think it means saving the whales. Some people think it means preserving ranches. If you had to define the word conservation and what it means to you, how would you do that? Well, that's tough. Um, you mentioned save the whales, and that goes back to, you know, natural selection. And that sort of thing and I, I see the necessity and value and, and all that but I think just being grateful and respectful for what we have here because it's very finite there are only there there's only so many things that we can get back um, you know with our resources and, and you name it across the board um, and it takes a lot of time to get to get those back if you can get them back so I think um, showing that respect uh, and you know spending the time out there in general will we'll, kind of develop that naturally i think in most people and there's so many people today that they're just stuck in their center block cities 
they don't really know what the outdoors is or, or where their wood comes from to build their house or where the ore comes from to, to make the steel. And, you know, there's only so much of that. And I think, you know, just being responsible and, and having that respect and respect for life and, and, and that sort of thing, uh, that would basically sum it up for me. I mean, I'm no, I'm no tree hugger by any means, but I'm not a wasteful person either. Yeah. I think that's a great, I think that's a great definition. And, I've heard a, a lot of the ranchers I talk to that have almost that exact quote that you had. You know, they they don't consider themselves tree huggers. They don't consider themselves environmentalists, but they are conservationists and they respect the land because their their livelihood depends on it. Um, so I I know you've got a lot going on and and where where are you sitting right now? I know you're you're in your truck. Are you out on the ranch? Uh, it's not our ranch. Unfortunately, we don't have one of, of those of our own yet. Um, but we have a tremendous volunteer basis and one of those fine ladies uh, has a, a great little place uh, just south of, of, of the Bozeman area called All Hearts Ranch or Serenity Ranch and she has just been incredible since the first day we met her um, with taking on our sick and injured horses for free and, and medicating them and, and managing them for free and it kind of morphed into a, a stronger relationship. And, and now uh, we've got all these Mustangs over at her facility uh, in an indoor arena right now, staring at all the Mustangs, staring back at me, uh, waiting to go to work. And I'm sitting in the truck with my beautiful girlfriend, Danny, and she's just smiling from ear to ear. So, <laughs> yeah. So I've got these kind of quick questions that I've asked everybody. I've gotten interesting answers. And so I like, um, I like being able to kind of compare and contrast the answers. So we'll run through these real quick, and then I'll let you get back to the important stuff. Um, do you have any favorite books or rec- books that you recommend? And it could be about any subject, it could, the American West, about the military, just any books that have been important in your life and you recommend that others read? Um, it's, it's horse-specific, I guess. Uh, a lot of Tom Dorrance books are really great. Um, I'm not a huge book guy myself, yep. uh, but I love history. So I find myself just reading up on historical figures and whether it's, you know, as far back as you can go or, or George Washington. Um, I just, when I do read, those are the types of things I read. Um, I'm not all that much into sci-fi, although they can be rather intriguing. Uh, for some reason I'm, I'm fascinated with history and, Pretty much everything I read has some historical significance. The only shitty side is I can't remember anything. So. <laughs> yeah, my brain gets filled up, and I keep I start reading, and for every new fact I put in, another one falls out. So, yeah, I'm the same way. Um, other than Unbranded that we were talking about, are there any any good documentaries or films that you'd recommend? And they can be about anything: military, horses, just anything you're interested in. Well, Danny's saying the sound of music, but that really doesn't. <laughs> what about Roadhouse? Roadhouse. Hey, I'll throw a mean roundhouse real quick. That is the best. That's the best movie of all time as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I like it when he looks at that guy, when, it, when, he, when he fires that guy, and the guy goes, what am I supposed to do? And he goes, there's always Barber College. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right, so no no other ones other than Roadhouse. What about Cobra with Sylvester Stallone? Oh, what's uh, 
Oh, crap. How about Big Trouble in Little China? Oh, man, that is a good one. You pulled that one out. That not, You don't hear that one very often, but that's, yeah, that's a really good one. I need to put that back in the rotation. I'm a tank top mullet kind of guy. <laughs> um, is there any activity you enjoy that would be surprising to the people listening to this? A Navy SEAL who rides wild horses. Like, do you know how to knit or anything like that? Uh, no, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I'm about as stereotypical as it would get, assuming most people think what they think about, you know, my prior occupation. Um, that was the beauty of what I used to do and, and now continue to do that my jobs or my hobbies have always been my jobs. And, that's something that's always been really important to me. I always told myself and, and my parents that you know I could never really hold a desk job. You know, being active is such a huge aspect of my life, and and I'm a I have to get out and do something. You know I can't read it and learn it very well. I have to get my hands on it. So that means you know for me to to get better at those things, it, they're all hands-on stuff, um, and just repetition and repetition and, and you know creating goals and standards and. Just always trying to improve. Cool. Um, and if you had to pick one place in the West that's your favorite place, where would that be? Uh, I wouldn't say any particular place. I think in the mountains with the horses and my dogs um, and Danny and my friends, I mean, you wake up and you've got the morning mists or the morning dew and the fog and the horses are laying down and you're looking at a, you know, the side of a mountain and maybe a, a lake, you know, we always have to camp near water. So that's, that's pretty usual. Um, but what if you, and if you can take the time to, to take all that in and, and, you know, it, to me, I think it just lends itself to, uh, to self-reflection. I don't think enough people do that. Um, but, you know, it really gives you the opportunity to kind of evaluate yourself. And there's all of the excess outside white noise is gone. There's nothing else to do. Um, so just those types of places in general, it can be across the country, it can be in, you know, across the world. Um, but just those places where you can find that tranquility, you know, those, that's are, a, those are the places I want to be. I think that's a great answer. I, I could... I don't think I could pick one spot, but I think you summed it up. That's what I'm looking for when I think about the best, the best of the West. Um, so next to the last question. So if you could make a request of the people that are listening to this podcast, and it's basically people that, that love the outdoors, love the American West. If you could ask something of that audience, what would that be? Um, I think, you know, we just have a, we owe ourselves, and I think we just need it as a, as a country to, to start changing the narrative. I mean, you talk about white people problems, as they say. I mean, Americans in general, you compare auto problems, so-called problems, to those in third world countries. It's like, really? Um, and that's our own making. Um, and outside of that, you know, as far as what we're doing in Europe, Heroes and Horses, I think, you know, we just need help spreading the word. And not only that, you know, we need money to, to keep doing what we're doing. And, you know, we're, you know, pretty small, pretty tight-knit group. But at the end of the day, all of the likes and pokes and, and Facebook and all that stuff, they don't translate into us 
having the capability to keep doing what we're doing. Um, so we really need those out there to, to give what they can if, if they're in line with what we're doing. Uh, and then spread the word. Absolutely spread the word. And let's, let's get these guys help that need help. Make them earn it. Um, you know, what we're doing is not free. Although for the students that go through the program, they don't incur any costs. Um, absolutely everything is taken care of just to relieve that financial burden for the length of time they're going to be gone. But all that money has to be raised by us. And, and Mike has got a heck of a full plate and spends a lot of time doing that so so we can just continue to help people. So spread the word and donate. And so how can people connect with you? Uh, website, social media, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, we've got all that. Uh, you love Facebook, right? Sure. Oh, yeah, heroesandhorses.org. You can check out the 500 Miles Project at 500milesproject.org. We've got a GoFundMe page that you can find on both of those. Um, You know, we've got several media things out there. We're published in the Wall Street Journal. Um, uh, Men's Journal is actually coming along, 500 Miles trip. Um, Maybe doing a rather lengthy write-up on it. Um, Yeti's done a great film about it. I think it's their most viewed uh, short film that they've done. Um, so there's a lot out there for guys that to want to know more about us. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, we can't do what we do without dollars. And, you know, right now we don't have a place to own to even keep the horses. Hey, got two trucks and three trailers to pull. So just the logistical side in and of itself, uh, you know, it takes a lot of forward thinking and a lot of extra time just to do that. And, you know, the equipment side to outfit all the animals, we're stored on all that kind of, kind of stuff. So guys that have that extra tack or, or a good quality course, and, you know, there's all sorts of ways to donate. If you don't have those things, if we could just use your time. And we've got all sorts of, of activities and, and things we need done. And between us as a staff, there's just, there's too much. So, um, as a nonprofit, we definitely rely heavily on the community support, and, and uh, right now we have a, a pretty good base. But you know, we want to we want to spread this and, and let it grow, and, and you know, like I said earlier, help change that narrative. So, well, hopefully this will help, and um, I'll do my best to get the word out. But but thanks for everything you've done, man. Thanks for everything you've done for for the country through your military service and everything you're doing now. I mean, it's. It's unbelievable, and it's really inspiring, and, and uh, I wish you all the, the, the best of luck as you continue with this. And let me know if there's anything I can ever do to help. Well, absolutely, and uh, you are more than welcome. You know, this type of stuff is great for us as well, and you know, I thank you for your time and not being too hard on me. Hey, it's Ed again. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast, and thanks for listening to that particular episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Before you go, I've got three quick things. Number one, if you like the podcast, please do me a huge favor. Either pass it along to a friend who may be interested, share it on your social media, and or go to iTunes and give it a five-star review. All those things would mean a lot to me, and they would really help to spread the word about the podcast. Number two, if you've listened to many of these episodes, you know that I love reading and I love talking about books. Every other month, I send out a quick email with a few books that I've recently read and highly recommend. The subjects are varied, but they're pretty much all nonfiction with an emphasis on history, biographies, adventure narratives, and topics related to the American West. There are no sales pitches for ranches, no spam, 
no other kind of nonsense, just books. So if you'd like to sign up for the list, head to Mountain and Prairie slash reading, or just go to Mountain and Prairie and there's a massive tab at the top that says book recommendations. Click on it. There are a ton of good books that I've read. Some of the old email lists are on there. Uh, you can go crazy. There are a lot of books. And finally, if you know anyone I should interview for the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. All my contact info is at mountainandprairie.com, and I'm on all the social media stuff, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. So feel free to reach out. I'd love to have some recommendations and suggestions of interesting people I should meet. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Thank you.